such a joy to be with you today. It's always a joy for me to be able to preach God's word. That gets me excited. But it's a double joy to know that I can get up in front of people that love the Lord Jesus Christ. And we can study God's word together and we can learn and grow and be edified by God's grace. I'm so uh, thankful for Northside Baptist Church. Appreciate the ministry God's given you here. I know it's a trying time right now for you as a church, as well as for Brother Wes and Jill. And we've been much in prayer for them. We were trusting God for his complete healing and soon return. And I know if there was any way he could be here this morning, he would be here, not me. And rightfully so. So God bless him. God bless you. Let's pray for a moment before we look at God's word together. Lord, we thank you for this time together and ask for your oversight. Lord, we ask for your Holy Spirit, Lord, just teach us and help us to understand your word today and how it applies to our life in Christ's name. Amen. My daughter, who's now grown and married and has two grandkids that we love dearly, was about uh, four or five years of age. And she was having a really difficult time getting to sleep at night. A little probing identified the problem. She was deathly afraid of wolves. She had watched some terrorizing scene on TV and was just sure that there was a ravenous pack of wolves outside the door just as soon as the sun went down that she had to be concerned with. It took me a long time to convince her there were no wolves. And there were literally no wolves. Now, we did live in the, the rural area of West Virginia, but there's no wolves there. I explained to her many times, the only wolves are thousands of miles away from here. We don't have wolves here. Yeah, wolves are real, and, and sometimes they can be a threat, but not here, not now. And she just wouldn't quite, she just wouldn't quite absorb it. You have to keep on, you have to keep on. And I, I say, honey, I, I, I've walked around through all these woods around our house and across the road, and up the I've never seen a wolf. I got out uh, books on wolves and, and showed her where they lived and, uh, and where their habitat was. It took the longest time before she finally realized she did not have to be afraid of wolves when the sun went down. Now, childhood anxieties, such as my daughter's fear of wolves, well, they don't last very long. It's pretty common to early childhood. A child can easily have a runaway imagination, but then again, it's soon a memory as they grow older. Unfortunately, there are real dangers in everyday life that soon take up the space in our minds that was once occupied by childhood fears. You see, fear, fear goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve sinned. God came looking for them and he knew where they was, but he said, where, where are you? And they said, well, we're here. And he said, God said, well, what are you doing? And he said, well, we were afraid 
we hit ourselves. So fear is something we all have to contend with at some level, in some way. In fact, the last couple of years has been a very challenging time for America and for the world. And you hear all these stories about the impact of uh, the pandemic and all of that on people's mental health, and I'm sure that's a reality for many people. In fact, they say that 40 million U.S. adults annually are diagnosed with anxiety disorders. That's about 18% of the population. And even more incredible, to me anyway, about one out of every three adolescents in America are said to suffer from some type of anxiety disorder. Now, that... Those statistics, take them or leave them, I don't know how accurate they are. I don't even know how accurate the diagnosis of a disorder is or how much that's really reality. But that's what we read about. That's what we see. But whatever stats are there and whatever we believe, they do not take into consideration the huge number of folks that wrestle with anxiety that are never, ever diagnosed with some sort of fancy disorder with four initials in front of it because we all came from Adam. Fear is a part of life. We just have to make up our minds. Are we going to dwell on fear or realize there really aren't any wolves outside the door? At least not to the extent that we imagine they are. Now, you might think, well, Christians are immune, but we are not. Otherwise, why would Jesus have said what he did in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25? You might want to turn there. I'm reading from the New King James. The Lord said, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will put on, is not life more than food in the body, more than clothing. Now, the New King James uses the word worry. The, the old King, straight King James translation says, take no thought for your life. The ESV says, be not anxious about your life. It's just a general word in the original, which means to be agitated, to be fearful, whether it's extreme fear or low-grade fear. And what Jesus says here in verse 25 is simply this, stop. Stop being anxious. Stop worrying about everything. Therefore, he says, I say unto you, do not worry. The the meaning of those words is simply this. He's assuming we do worry, and he's saying, stop worrying. Quit it. Kind of goes back to the old joke the Three Stooges used to use years ago. I've seen it many times where, you know, Curly goes to the doctor and the doctor says, what's wrong? He says, well, it hurts when I do this. And the doctor says, well, don't do that. That's, that's really where we are in our minds. Whatever in our minds is afflicting us, whatever is making us hurt, we need to stop doing that. 
Stop being anxious. The problem is, that's difficult. In fact, it may seem altogether unreasonable to think that if we can just snap our fingers and stop worrying, stop being anxious, stop being afraid. And yet Jesus said, stop. Well, if he said, stop being anxious, then I think one thing is very clear. We can do it or he wouldn't have told us to do it. If it was impossible, he wouldn't have said, we need to stop doing it. Now, what we do need to process here is, the, is this. We can stop doing it now, but an hour later we might have to stop doing it again. Or tomorrow or the next day. This is not, this is not a, a, a formula that Jesus gives to us here in Matthew 6 that just covers the rest of our life. Well, this, is just how to, this is just how to win the battle every day. Because it's an ongoing battle. It's always a battle. And, and we live in a very, very dangerous world. I don't, like to, I, I don't like to watch the news in the morning. It just tells me all the things that, you know, going wrong and all the things that are happening and all the things that could happen and all the things we need to be concerned about. Well, I know all that's true. But I don't have to dwell on it, and I don't like to dwell on it. Notice he says in verse 25, Therefore... Therefore, I say to you, now that, that points back to the previous verse where he talks about the authority that is God's. So he, he is saying, look, I'm your authority and I'm telling you this is what you need to do. But again, understanding that it's a daily battle, we have to answer the question, how can we overcome anxiety? At least in the short run. How can we handle anxiety? Anxiety might be the best way to to put it. And what we find here in verses 25 down through the rest of the chapter is this. Jesus tells us how. That's what I love about God's word. It not only tells us what to do, but it always tells us how to do it. If you look carefully, it may not tell you how to do it at every, every passage, but somewhere it will. And most of the time, it's right there in front of us. We just don't seem to take notice of it. So let's talk about the how this morning. How is it that we can deal with anxiety? And how do we deal with this command? How do we obey this command that Jesus has given us? He's saying, don't let anxiety overwhelm you. When it occurs, stop it. Now, there are three hows I want you to see with me this morning in the sixth chapter of Matthew. Here part of the that early portion of Matthew which uh, contains so many rich truths. The first the first way to deal or to handle anxiety is this. We have to learn to trust in the providence of God. Trust in the providence of God. Now the word providence, I chose that word because it means that God is caring for us, not only in this moment, but in the next moment, in the following moment, the next day, the next year. God's care for us is ongoing. It's pre-planned, not from his perspective, but certainly from ours. It precedes any difficulties and dangers that we will encounter. So it's referred to as providence 
by theologians. You see, worry is an, is an inability to trust in the promises of God at some level. Or maybe just forgetting to trust in the promises of God. Now, there are two areas where we fail to trust God that Jesus points out here. The first one has to do with our concerns regarding the sustaining of our lives. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Now, here, here is his examples. Number one, the birds, verse 26. Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Well, we certainly are of more value than they. And yet, something as insignificant as the birds that we see from day to day, God takes care of them. Years ago, there was a local local TV personality and weather woman in the area where, where we live. And she would always conclude every broadcast in the wintertime, every, every weather report in the wintertime, with a plea for everybody to please feed the birds during the winter. What she evidently didn't know is all the birds that couldn't find feed in the winter went south already. And the, words, and the birds that knew how to survive in the winter were just fine. But it was a big thing to her, and she used to plead for everybody, please don't forget to feed the birds. You know, nothing wrong with feeding the birds. I, I've done it. I like to watch them. You can learn a lot by observing the birds. But I've never in all my years ever found a bird laying on the side of the road or in the woods or in the field that is starved to death. Have you ever found an emaciated bird that is just obviously starved to death laying around? No. Never. Food and drink sustain our life. That's, that's what we worry about. It's not so much, especially for us here in America, it's not, well, where's my next meal coming from? You know, I know it may be a case for some people, but God takes care of the birds, and he will take care of us too. Philippians 4.19. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory. Didn't say he might, didn't say he could. It says he shall. If you're a child of God, God will sustain you. And then he moves on. To the second, he says, which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? Now, that sounds a little strange at first. I used to read this and say, okay, oh, so we tell everybody I'm 5'10", that's probably stretching it, it's probably 5'9", something. <laughs> and uh, I always wanted to be about 6'3", but... Uh, 
You know, no matter how, how, how much I pray, I'm not going to get any taller. That's not what he's talking about here. It would be silly to, to worry about such things. The word translated stature not only can mean height, but it also can mean length. And in this case, it's used in terms of length of life, not stature in height. So all the worry, all the fretting, all the anxiety that we put into what we're going to do if this happens, that happens, how are we going to, uh, you know, make it? We can't add one day to our lifespan. That's pretty well set in the mind of God, by the way. Our days are numbered, the psalmist says. We just don't know what the number is. It's simple as that. So he says in verse 28, So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O ye of little faith. Therefore, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? Well, that pretty much covers the essentials in life. Food to sustain us, shelter, whether it be clothing or a roof over our head. You know, when we worry about finances, that kind of falls under number two. Well, number one, two, for that matter, in this, in this world today. We don't even know if there's going to be groceries at the grocery store, right? There might not be. These two illustrations show us that we can fully trust God. He feeds the bird. He clothes the flowers of the field. By the way, when it talks about uh, the flowers of the field, the grass of the field, thrown in the oven, this is not a reference to eternal punishment or anything like that. It's just culture in that day. They would have little clay-like ovens. They would you know, easily construct when they were out, especially shepherds. And if they needed to start a fire, they'd just gather up some grass. And, you know, it's tinder. That's all he's talking about. And tinder is pretty readily available, certainly available uh, in the Middle East. Trivial thing. They didn't have to worry about where was that coming from. You, you fix you a place for a fire, and you'll find some tinder there. Believe me, there's no green grass growing there. <laughs> At least not much of it. So... If God is God, we can depend on him to always have a ready supply at a hand for us. He feeds the birds. He clothes the flowers of the field in, 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 in such a magnificent way that Solomon in all of his glory doesn't even compare to it. Wildflowers especially to me are very beautiful. Like the whole field of them. Just, just amazing. God clothes nature. He feeds nature. He can take care of us. So our, our challenge is simply this. We gotta trust Him. We gotta, we gotta believe that He can provide for us. You know the best way you can do that? 
I, I see some of you are probably my age or better, and some of you, a lot of you are a lot younger. But most of us have lived long enough that all we have to do is just stop and think about our experience in life and how God has provided over and over and over. Oftentimes when we fretted and worried about this or that, and yet God's provision just took care of it. We have to trust him. You know, one author many years ago said there's four reasons why people like to worry and be be anxious about things. I mean, or why they do, I say like to. You see, some people, I think, in their minds think that they can, if if they worry about enough stuff, they can figure out how to prevent it from happening. So that's on your mind. You, you take that approach. Others, they, they like to think about the worst in advance so that when something really bad happens, they won't fall apart. <laughs> They've already fallen apart for ages before. Sometimes I think we, we are tempted to just worry about things in life because, well, we don't want to, you know, we don't want to totally take God for granted and think He's going to just provide everything. We've got to do our part, right? So, uh, we kind of excuse our worry that way. And then sometimes anxiety afflicts us because we've really messed up in the past. We've gotten some bad situations and we don't want to repeat it. So if we worry about doing that again, maybe we can see a way around it next time. All of these things taking place in our mind. We just have to understand there's not really any wolves outside the front door. At least not most of the time. Not nearly as bad as we imagine. That's the first how. The second one is this. We've got to keep our priorities in order. Keep our priorities in order. Now, this may, this may seem out of place, but look at it with me, if you will, at verse 31. Here's another therefore. Since God will take care of us, he'll feed us, he'll clothe us, and so on. Therefore, do not worry, saying what we shall eat, what she will, what we shall drink, what shall we wear? For after all these things, the Gentiles seek. Now, the use of the word Gentile here means someone who is not Jewish. But the the idea here in this context is somebody did not believe in the God of Israel, did not worship the true God. Now, people that don't have a full assurance of a heavenly father that can handle anything that is omniscient, omnipotent, and fully faithful to his promises, well, if that's not the case, you've got a lot to worry about. That's what the Gentiles do, because they do not have the assurances we have in the word of God. For after all these things the Gentiles seek, and that's the present tense for there. That means the Gentiles are always seeking these things. Every day, all the time. How can I do better? How can I get ahead? How can I have more? How can I avoid this loss? How can I achieve? How can I be a success? On and on and on and go. For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. That harkens back to trust him to provide. But then he says this in verse 33. But seek. Now here's the thing. The Gentiles seek... All those things we just mentioned, food, clothing, shelter, financial uh, stability, on and on and on it goes, a job, a career. The Gentiles seek all those things. What should we be seeking? 
Oh, totally different. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. I think sometimes when we read that word kingdom, we think, well, it's just referring to the future kingdom. And, 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 he, and he, Jesus taught us to pray thy kingdom come. And believe me, when bad things happen in this world, sometimes the only thing we can do is just pray, Lord, thy kingdom come. You know, this, this is an evil world we live in. But when it says here, seek the kingdom, Seek first in priority the kingdom of God. He's talking about the rule of God. He's talking about the authority of God over us. The, the authority of God that we respond to, the rule of God that should direct our lives in far, as far as what we do, how we act, how we live. In that sense, the kingdom because we, we are going to be members of that coming kingdom. In that sense, we are living in accordance with who we are. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Okay, there's two things we really need to be concerned about. You know, the best way to stop doing something is to replace it with something else. That's what Jesus is saying. You know, it's not like we can just sit down here and we can get real serious and we can just say, I'm going I'm I'm to stop worrying. I'm going to stop being anxious. I'm going to stop being fearful. No, we, you can't just do it by force of your will. You've got to change your thinking. You've got to replace that kind of thinking with a different type of thought process. <clears throat> the problem is our priority is on what we want how we want it, when we want it, to the extent we want it. And all these things in the world that we think we need and, and, and must have. He says, no, replace that kind of thinking with this. Number one, focus on being an obedient believer and recognizing the rule of Jesus Christ in your life. And number two, live in accordance with what he has taught us in his word. His rule and his righteousness. I'm telling you what. If we thought about those two things to the extent that we should, to the extent that we need to, we wouldn't have time for anxiety. But then again, it is a battle and we are fallen creatures. But however often you might need to do it, Readjust your thinking. There's a couple of verses in Philippians that are favorites of mine, and I, I refer to them so often in my life. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. And uh, here Paul says this. He says, be anxious for nothing. You know, that is almost, that is virtually equivalent with exactly how Jesus said what he said in Matthew six twenty five. Just a slightly worded, slightly different. Be anxious for nothing. But basically what Paul was saying is, stop, stop being anxious. Stop worrying. But, uh oh, here's what you need to do instead of being anxious. Here's the replacement. 
Same principle we see in Matthew 6. The replacement here, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. He says prayer replaces anxiety as far as our choices. It should replace anxiety as far as our choices. And if we, when we find ourselves anxious, turn to God in prayer, what is the result? Verse 7, and the peace of God. Well, peace takes care of anxiety, right? Peace trumps anxiety. When we pray, we avail ourselves of the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. It also says it will guard our hearts and our minds through Jesus Christ. I've shared that couple of verses with folks many, many times, hospital rooms and and in other occasions and circumstances where they were suffering from some sort of trauma or circumstance that was overwhelming them. And I've often had them ask me this question. Well, Pastor, how, how often should I pray? And my answer is always the same, just as often as you feel anxious. <laughs> if you pray and five minutes later you need to pray again, pray again. Be thankful if it's five hours later. But whenever you're anxious, pray. Because prayer is the activity of your mind that replaces the worry and anxiety. And it brings peace. God doesn't say it'll bring peace forever without ever, you know, having to go through the same process again, but it will bring peace. Keep your priorities in order. I like the story about John Wesley way back in the 1700s, a great evangelist in England. He was out on a preaching tour one time and and someone came running up to him and he said, your house has burned down. Your house has burned down. Probably a neighbor or somebody that knew the circumstances and knew that Wesley was unaware of what had happened. But Wesley's, Wesley's reply was phenomenal. He said, no, it hasn't because I don't own a house. The one I have been living in belongs to the Lord. And if it has burned down, that's one less responsibility for me to worry about. I don't know if that would have been my response. (laughs) I'm pretty sure that wouldn't have been my response. But Wesley was someone who had his priorities in such order that anxiety Worry, concern, fear didn't seem to affect him. So we've covered two hows so far. Trust in the providence of God, number one. Keep your priorities in order, number two. And finally, one last one. Focus on today's problems. Focus on today's problems. Verse 34. Therefore... Do not worry. There it is again. Stop worrying. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, what what Jesus is saying is that caring about these things is normal and natural and, and appropriate as long as you are concerning yourself with what you're dealing with today. 
But if you're thinking about what's going to happen five years from now or what's going to happen uh, next week or am I going to lose my job when the recession comes, you're, you're pushing out today's legitimate concerns to tomorrow, and we can't handle that. We can barely handle the concerns we have today. Years ago, my wife had a serious health issue happened in the middle of the night. Now, I was pastoring a church in rural West Virginia, and it was 50 miles to the nearest emergency room. And only about 20 of those 50 miles was interstate, and the rest of it was, well, up and down and around, difficult to drive. So in the middle of the night, about 2 a.m., I drove as fast as I could, exceeded every speed limit known to man on those roads, to deliver her to the emergency room 50 miles away. Now, I guarantee to you, and I think you can understand, that I was overwhelmed by anxiety the whole way. And I should have been. That's normal. That's when Philippians 4, 6, and 7 comes into the picture. Stop being anxious. Let your requests be made known to God. Start praying. I was praying. I was being anxious. I was praying. I was being anxious. See, today's problems, God will give us the grace to deal with especially if we, if we apply Philippians 4, 6, and 7. But tomorrow's problems, next week's problems, next month's problems, five years from now, that's what we need to avoid. Focus on today's problems. Now, these are three very simple things to remember. Put your trust in the providence of God. His promises, number one. And then follow it down, one, two, and three. Even you three. This latest one, focus on today, not tomorrow. I like what Mark Twain said about that. Now, Mark Twain, I'm pretty sure he wasn't a believer. <laughs> but uh, he said a lot of funny things and some things that are very true. But this, there's one time he said this, and he, I think it's very applicable here. He said, I've been through some terrible things in my life some of which happened. See, there's a lot of terrible things we put ourselves through that never happened. So in conclusion, what can we begin to do about this? Well, read Matthew 6, 25 to 30 very often. Read it when you are faced with trouble, anxiety, and worry. Commit Philippians 4, 6, and 7 to memory and apply what it says. Learn to pray in the midst of anxiety. And remember, keep your mind focused on today's problems. Real problems. Today's problems are real problems. Tomorrow's problems are those wolves outside the door that might be there. It's a mental battle, yes. But more importantly, and tied up in our mind is this, it's a spiritual battle. It's a battle we're going to have to fight very often. And if we don't know how to apply these principles, then 
the day-to-day worries are going to eat us up. And we don't want that to happen. I don't know who wrote this. My wife inscribed it on a plaque. Actually, she wrote it in calligraphy, I think, and framed it. And it hung in my office for many years. It says this, acceptance is the answer to all my problems today. When I am disturbed, it is because some person, place, thing, or situation, some fact of my life is unacceptable to me. And I can find no serenity until I accept that person, place, thing, or situation as being exactly the way it is supposed to be at this moment. Nothing. Absolutely nothing happens in God's world by mistake. Certainly not to his children. 